Morning. It is great to see you guys here today. God brought the rain today because next Sunday is Easter and it's going to be beautiful weather. Amen. How many of you believe that? I am excited. I hope that you are as well. Invite somebody, invite somebody for Easter on the field. It's going to be a memorable, exciting day. And make sure you don't show up here uh, on that Sunday. We won't be here. So Easter on the field, William Blunt High School. Uh, if you've never been there, huge, great, big stadium, lots of space. If you're watching online, lots of space to spread out. Uh, social distance if you choose to do so. Uh, it's going to be great. Kids are going to have an activity packet, keep them busy. And uh, it's going to be a great, awesome, fun day. We're going to baptize on that day. Some of you are probably going to get baptized. Some of you watching are going to get baptized. You probably don't even know it yet, but God is working. And uh, man, I'm excited about what he's going to do. I'm excited because our church has been in the community all week. Uh, this is Let's Go Week. If you're new to FC, we, we do this every year. Small groups, individuals all throughout our church are committing to love our community by serving in various capacities all over the area, uh, whether Knoxville, Maryville, Alcoa. And so uh, our staff this past week served together. It was a great time. And uh, many of our small groups are going this week. And so uh, we want to do this because we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we want our community to know that we care, we love them, and we are for them. And so if you haven't signed up, if you haven't served, you can still be a part of one of those ministries. And so you can go to the Connect Center today. They will help you get connected and dialed in to loving our city. Because that's what we're here for, right, church? I mean, we don't just show up on Sunday to learn. We're here to make a difference in the world. And this is one of the ways that we do that. How many of you guys believe that? You excited about that? That's right. Well, today uh, we are closing out our series entitled Looking for Life. And so we've been in this series for the last 12 weeks. We're going to close it out today in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, the whole concept is that we've been looking for life, right? Every single human being, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, is looking for life. And if you don't understand that you've been given life vertically by God, then you'll be searching for life horizontally through culture and worldly things. And so if you're a wife today and you are looking for life in your husband, um, you're, you're coming up empty. Your husband should love you, he should value you, but he has no ability whatsoever to give you life. His job isn't really to make you happy, he can't do that. His job isn't really to give you worth, he's incapable of doing that. Only your savior can do that. And so if you're looking to a man, a husband, a boyfriend, to give you value, worth, and to make you have and experience life, you're asking him to do something impossible. Only Jesus can give life. Parents in the room who are trying to live through their children, uh, you are trying to experience life through your children. And so through their sports and through their success and through their academic careers, if you are looking for life and looking to them like little trophies that give you value and give you worth and give you meaning, you will wind up feeling empty one day when they graduate and move away because you no longer have that component in your life making you feel like you have a purpose. Right? Your children are incapable of giving and bringing life 
into your life. Only Jesus has the ability to do that. Some of you are looking for life in your career. You're advancing, you are making more money, you are doing well, money is coming in, you're buying nicer things, and in that moment as you buy nicer things and have a little bit of money, it feels exciting. But the moment you buy one thing, you very quickly realize that it is not enough, and what do you want? Something else. I want something a little newer, a little nicer, right? In the, and, and this perpetuates this cycle over and over in our life. It is never good enough. Why? Because we begin to look for life in things that are dead. Money is an inanimate object. Cars, houses, uh, material possessions, these things don't live with us forever. And so we wind up feeling empty and hopeless. Why? Because they can't bring us life. Only Jesus can bring life. Students in the room, looking for life through sexual relationships, through an academic career, the next high, the next party. You're looking for things, you're looking for life in things that only bring death. They cannot bring life into our life. Only Jesus can bring life. And so we all need to be reminded that earthly things can never, will never bring life into our life. Only Jesus can give life. And so we've been learning this lesson from a guy who had it all. He had all the money, he had fame, he had power, he had material possessions, he ate expensive food, he had expensive things, he had everything. And he was essentially saying that he cannot find life, he could not find life or meaning in any of it. And, and he provides for us what I think is one of the most profound statements in the English language. He didn't just say all of this stuff feels hopeless. He didn't just say, you know, if you're looking for life and all of these things, it's not going to be fun. He gives us this concept. He says it's like chasing the wind to which we all resonate. We all get that. We all understand that, right? You can't catch the wind. You can't catch the wind and put it in your pocket. You, can, you can't, you know, throw a rope around it. And that's the imagery that he wants us to remember from this day forward, that anytime, anytime, anytime in your life that you are reminded that you're looking for life in something horizontally, earthly, and you're not trying to find life and focused in on and centered upon your vertical relationship with God, it is like chasing after the wind. And so I hope the series has been encouraging. I hope you've learned a ton. Uh, I hope that as we close out today, um, we continue to learn because I think today he's gonna close out with this concept that, that he's gonna share with us that's really transformative. And it's this idea that there is a fear that will deliver us from all fears. There's a fear that delivers us from all fears. Now, everybody in the room has certain fears. Uh, you, the fear of not fitting in, the fear of death, the fear of hell, uh, maybe the, the, the fear of not feeling successful, the fear of not you know, making it, the fear of not finding a spouse or whatever it is. We, we fear failure is a big one. Every single one of us have fears in our life. So what is your greatest fear today? I wanna start with that idea that, that we would, we would kind of let the Holy Spirit remind us today, what is 
your greatest fear and ask him today to to reveal that to you and let let God speak to you this morning. Like, what is that fear that is, is pushing you each and every day? Because fears are powerful. Fears lead us to make decisions, who we're gonna vote for, right? What job we're gonna take, not gonna take. Fears really, really drive us every single day if we're not careful. And, and these fears are very real. Some of them are, are very deep-seated, uh, rooted from when we were children, things that happened to us, things we experienced. And even as a grown man, grown woman today, that fear is still present in our life. So what is it that you actually fear today? We're gonna start in verse nine of chapter 12. Here we go, here's what he says. Besides being wise, the preacher, this is what Solomon has been referred to this whole time, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And so essentially when he says these words that are upright, these words that are true, these uh, arranging many Proverbs, we know that he wrote much of the Proverbs. And we know that as he is writing this, God is inspiring him. And so that's why we have the book of Proverbs in the Bible, because it's the very words of God. And so these upright words, these words of delight, he's specifically referring to the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, right? That is huge for us to be reminded about today. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. So inerrant means that it is without errors. And infallible means that it is incapable of having errors. So we believe that it is God-breathed, that it is an inerrant, infallible, that in what God intends to teach us in his word is perfect in every way. So we 100% believe that as followers of Christ. The Bible contains the very mind of Christ. It explains the brokenness of man. It shows us the way of salvation and it shows and teaches us what happens to those who do not put their faith in Christ. And so when we look at the Bible, the Bible contains light to direct you, food to nourish you, and it brings comfort to cheer you. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. Read it slowly, read it often, read it prayerfully, but whatever you do in your life, read the Bible, read the Bible, read it, read it, and read it again. When you have read it all the way through, go back and read it again. It has the power to transform your life. It has the power to transform your future. And so the more we read it, the more we apply it, the more we are in the word of God, the better, the more joyful, the happier, the more blessed your life will be. And that's why we as a church have focused on what we're calling the Bible Project this year. And we're challenging every single one of you, whether you're at home or in the room today, to read through the New Testament. So I truly believe that as a church, if we together read through the New Testament, God will begin to do even greater things in your life and in our church. We need to be in the word of God. It's why we are memorizing one verse every month as a church. Why? When we put the word of God in our mind, in our hearts, 
then now God has a little bit more room to remind us. He has more room to encourage you and strengthen you. No matter what you face this year, we are desperate for wisdom. We're desperate for the word of God. And so I pray if you haven't started that journey, that you would jump in today and begin to read with us. Solomon believed the word of God. He understood it was God's wisdom. And so he studied it. But it also says that he does something else if you look at your Bible. Not only did he study it and learn it and write, write about it, he also taught it. Solomon wanted to actually teach what he had learned from God. Now, again, he wrote most of the Proverbs. So Solomon has taught us. He's taught millions of people throughout the generations, right? So he learned it, but he also taught it. He wasn't in the business of just tickling our ears to make him sound smart or to make him sound uh, wise. No, he wanted us to understand the very truth and wisdom of God. And so as we understand the wisdom of God, it is paramount that we actually share, not just you know, for our own benefit, but that we are sharing what we actually have learned. What you understand from the Bible is eternal wisdom. It has the power of life and death, and you never know when you share what you have learned, how it's gonna change and impact someone else's life. So here's a question for you to wrestle with today, and if you're in small group tonight or this week, to talk about this. How are you sharing what you've learned? Like, how do you go about sharing the things that you learn? Is it, is, it, is it something that you even process? Is it something you even think about? Is it something that is even in your minds? I think the goal of every single Christian should be that we would pass along what we've learned to friends, to loved ones, to the next generation, that whatever we have experienced, whatever we have learned uh, from the word of God, that we are willing to share that truth. I, I can't download everything I know uh, from the word of God into your life in uh, you know, a 30, 40 minute sermon. It, it doesn't just happen in one setting, right? I, 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 you know, I'm not called to fill your cup every single day, but I am called to empty my cup. I'm called to empty my cup. So the idea there would be that I would empty my knowledge, I would empty my experience, however much, however little, I don't know what God's gonna do with it. I don't know how God's gonna use it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share what I know with, with people who will listen. And the same truth should be applied to your life. How are you sharing what you've learned? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says this very clearly. Paul says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. So men, are called to invest in and pour into other men who would then themselves be able to teach. Titus, Paul says to Titus in, in, in chapter two, he says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. And he goes on to explain that. But the idea and the point there is that older men are called to invest in to share truth with younger men. Older women are called to invest in and share what they have learned with younger women. So how do you empty your cup? 
How as a follower of Jesus are you fulfilling the scripture today? I can't download everything I know into one coffee meeting. So what does that mean? That means that I need to prioritize relationships in my life. I need to prioritize being in relationships because I can't do it in one setting, so I need to be in a relationship with these people, with other people, so that I have the opportunity to entrust two younger men who will then be able to teach other men. And the same is true for you. This isn't just a pastoral calling. This is a Christian calling upon each and every one of us. And so I sacrifice something that I like to do for something that I know that is important to do. So I know relationships are important, but I also know I'm busy and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And man, dedicating an hour and a half to two hours a week for a small group is hard and difficult and I know it's challenging, but I sacrifice what I would like to do so that I can prioritize what I know God is commanding me to do. And that is to be in relationships. And so we get in small groups, why? We prioritize those relationships because in small group, we are sharing what we've learned. And we're equipping and we're encouraging other people through our experience and through the story that God has given to us and what we have gone through and what God has taught us. We're able to entrust that to those folks that are in our group. And we meet every week and it's a, it's a priority that we gather every week. And so it's a consistency. And the more you do that, the more God grows you. I have found, and this is the, one of the blessings of being a, a, a preacher, a teacher, is that I am I'm able to learn and grow more than I ever could because I am studying and learning and growing to be able to teach other people. But to be able to teach other people, I have to consume it and I have to own it myself. And so the same truths would be true for you. If you're in your 50s and 60s, I'm not calling you old, right? Let's just pump the brakes here. But you are older than some, <laughs> not everybody, but some, right? And so I would encourage you to think about how you are investing as an older man, as an older woman, how are you investing in those who you would consider younger than you? That is a scriptural command for each one of us. And so I would, I would encourage you to think through what it would look like in August for you to start a small group where as an older man, older couple, older woman, that you would be in a small group where you would be investing in those who would be in their 40s, 30s, 20s. I know you like to be around people your age, we all like that, but I also understand that the benefit of that is powerful. Right? If a 20-year-old is in a group with other 20-year-olds and, and they have a, a leader who is 20 years old, they can grow, they can be discipled, they can be encouraged. There's gonna be a ton of great things that happen in that, and yet they are missing a huge component. Nobody in their group is married. Nobody in their group has experienced childbirth. Nobody in their group has experienced teenagers. They are ill-equipped. <laughs> And they need older men and they need older women in their life to be able to show them this is what dating looks like, this is what honoring a spouse looks like, this is what having a kid's gonna look like. It is great that younger mothers have other younger mothers to encourage each other and love on each other and, and share ideas with each other. But what they really need, moms, 
is a mom that has been there, that has done that, and they have a functioning adult in the world. If you have a functioning adult in the world today, we as younger parents need to know how you did it. <laughs> and so older men, hear me today. You do not know how desperate the younger men need you today. Older women, you do not understand how desperate these younger women need you in their life. And I could go on a tangent and talk about our country and talk about all the things that are happening. And the reason, one of the main reasons I would say is because the older generation has not successfully been training and equipping and teaching the younger generation. And so I would encourage you today to think through how you're doing this. Now, if you're in your 20s, there are still younger people in and around your life. And so what does investing into high school students look like? And high school students, what does it look like for you to invest into middle school students? And middle school students, what does it look like for you to invest in elementary students? See, this is the, the command of scripture because this is how we learn and grow. I learn when I share, you learn when you share. And when I hear and apply, I learn. And so when we are sharing and they are hearing and they are applying, they are growing. This is the way God commands us. This is how God's kingdom grows. And so I pray that if you would be at all interested in maybe mentoring or discipling somebody that is younger than you, and we don't even know what this might look like, but I would love to know who you are today. If, if you would go, if you'd scan the QR code, there's a, there's a button that will pop up that will just say, I wanna be a mentor. It'll say mentor. I can't even remember what they put in there. But it'll say the word mentor. Just let us know that you would be somebody willing to step into a relationship like that so that, so that I, I, I can't mentor 100 you know, young people or 100 people that are younger than me. But, but you could have one of them or you could have a couple of them in your life and we could train you on how to do that. But we need to know who you are. And so... If that's something at all that you're interested in, let us know uh, who you are today by clicking the QR code. And, and uh, then we can kind of step into the same role that Solomon is, is showing us here today, that, that he is training and sharing that we too might step into that wisdom and knowledge as well. Let's keep going. Verse 11, he says, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And all the students in the, at the end of March, going into April, about to finish a semester, say amen, right? There is a weariness to studying these books. There is a weariness in your flesh as you get towards the end of the semester. And I guarantee there's probably a lot of teachers in here that would say the same things. Now, what is a goad? He says, he says the, the, the words of the wise are like goads. Now, a goad is this wooden staff that would ha have this metal, like almost like a nail on the end of it. So picture a staff with a nail, a metal tip, and, and a goad was used to prod sheep and prod animals and get them to go where you want them to go. And so he, his point is that words of wisdom, God's word is like a goad. He is the one shepherd. Now in your Bibles, uh, the word shepherd is capital S. But why? Because he's pointing to the one shepherd that is God our Father. We would say Jesus is our ultimate shepherd. And so his words of wisdom, the words of God, goad us along in life. 
kind of, kind of prod us and poke us to get us onto the path that is narrow, the path that leads to life, the path that leads to peace, the path that leads to joy. And so sometimes it hurts. Imagine getting prodded with a goad that literally has a sharp metal tip on it, like, ow. Yeah, the words of God are hurtful at sometimes. There's a little pain, but you, you, you need that oftentimes in order to get you in the right direction. It keeps us from future harm. I think the book of Ecclesiastes in general has been painful at times. Solomon has challenged the way that we think about life. He's challenged how we think about sex and marriage. He's challenged the way that we think about uh, generosity and money. He's challenged us on several levels and it hurts because our sin nature is to repress what is true. Our sin nature automatically wants to repress what is true and do it our way. The word of God acts like a goad, kind of hurting us and prodding us at times. Why? To guide us into the right path. And so in verse 12, he's talking to us like a loving father. This loving father saying, listen, my son, listen to me. This is, this is important. Be careful about finding life, about finding hope and knowledge in books, right? So education is important. And uh, there, there are so many books being released every day that we could listen to in podcasts and you know, seminars and YouTube channels and all these things that we can gain knowledge. And his point is that this knowledge is endless. This knowledge and learning can happen your entire life. But just know this, the secular world apart from God, it can teach you knowledge, but apart from God, there is no wisdom. There is no wisdom in a secular world apart from God. He's the only one that can give us this wisdom. And so study, yes, uh, learn, yes, but also know this. There's so much that we already know that we're not doing. And maybe that's the challenge that we need to think about today. We need to be reminded what we've already been taught in the sermon, what we've already been taught in the word of God, what we've been taught our whole life, but how much of the book are we actually living out? We're hungry for this new knowledge. We're hungry for this new information in an information world with, with cell phones that are downloading information every second of the day that we're looking to. But the reality is we need to stand back and think, are we actually obeying what God has already told us to do, what we've already heard? We're looking for something new. We wanna learn something new. Trent, teach us something new. Trent, teach me something I haven't heard before. But have we done what we've already heard to do? And maybe that's, that's why you can't find life today. Maybe that's why you're hurting. Maybe that's why you're frustrated because you haven't done the thing that God has actually already told you to do and you're refusing to do it. So here's another good question. What have you heard a thousand times but you still refuse to do it? What if you asked God that question today prayerfully and just said, God, what have you been telling me to do and I've not been doing it? I wonder, I wonder how many of us would walk away with an answer today that we'd walk away and, and hear God speak to us in a powerful way that could uh, ultimately transform our life. Let's keep going in verse 11 or verse 13. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty 
of man. He says, this is the end of the matter. In other words, when everything is said and done, this is the bottom line. 12 weeks of study in this, right? We've been reading this, we've been talking about it, his whole journey, his whole life, he's been writing about it. And he says this, at the end of the day, this is our big takeaway. Fear God and obey him. Two words the human nature hates. Fear, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not afraid of you, I'm not afraid of you, I'm not afraid of him, I'm not afraid of the government. I'm not afraid of anything. Obey, I'm not obeying you, I obey me. I don't care what you want me to do. I don't care what my wife says. I don't care what my teacher says. I don't care what my coach says. I do what I want to do. I live in America. Thank you very much. Fear and obedience. Two words the human nature hates. And he says at the end of the day, if you don't get this, your life is going to be jacked up. Fear God and obey him. So Here's what I would say. The fear that delivers us from all fears is the fear of the Lord. The fear that delivers us from all fears in life is actually when we fear the Lord, right? And so when we read this word, when we've read it before, uh, the the fear of God. And in fact, our scripture memory verse for this month is actually Proverbs 1-7, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all what? Wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so we see this word fear throughout the text. And I'll remind you again of this concept of trembling trust. We are in awe of this almighty, powerful, creating God. And there is a trembling, not a terrifying, but a trembling respect and awe of who he is, trusting that he loves, trusting that he is in control. And so you might write this attitude down. The fear of the Lord is the attitude of submission to the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you've submitted your life to him. To fear the Lord means that you respect him. There's an awe and a respect for your God, your savior. There is a dependence on the Lord. And so we don't get worried and freaked out and anxious like the rest of the world when things happen. Why? Because we depend on the Lord. Those who fear the Lord depend on him. We have faith in him. We are worshiping him. We are uh, uh, loving him. Our faith is in him. And so when we do these things, this, this idea of, of humbling ourselves before him, committing to him, submitting to him, respecting him, depending, worshiping, having faith in, hoping in, loving in, then sin begins to lose its sweetness. It's not so sweet anymore. We see the devastating effects. Obedience comes then from this fear of the Lord. If I fear him, respect him, and awe of him, love him, worship him, then obedience can then follow that. And he says this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole purpose of mankind. This is the whole purpose of why we are here. This is it at the end of the day. This is how we find rest for our souls in this crazy life in this crazy, sometimes meaningless, mundane life. This is how we find purpose. We fear God, we obey him. August, uh, Augustine said it great in 400 AD. He says, thou hast made us for thyself and our heart is restless 
till it rests in thee. Mm. Some of you have a restless heart today. You're restless about a relationship. You're restless about your job. You're restless about your faith. You're restless about your eternity. I would sum that up with this statement. We will never find rest until we come to rest in Jesus. You're never gonna, you're never gonna overcome that anxiety. You're never gonna find rest for your soul until you find rest ultimately in Jesus. This is what you were made for. This is why God delivered you into this world in the first place, that you would know Jesus and find rest in Jesus. So how does the fear of the Lord deliver us from all of this fear? How, how does fearing God deliver us from all fear? Very quickly, here's how he does it. I think the promise of love and joy drives out fear. The promise of love and joy. So he gives us this promise that he loves us. He gives us this promise that he's going to give us joy in this life. Nine different times all throughout this book, Solomon says, enjoy life, enjoy life, rejoice in life. He wants you to have fun in life. But the only way we can truly have happiness and life in this world is if we go to God first. Right? And when we go to God first, then he begins to replace fear with joy. Why? Because of his love. I remember when, as a kid growing up, I was like three and a half, four. I don't know how my sisters got me on the roller coaster, but they got me on the roller coaster. This was the 80s and nobody cared about kids back then. <laughs> and I remember riding this roller coaster and being so petrified and terrified that it scarred me. Like if I think about it today, my heart like starts to pound a little bit more. It made me fearful of roller coasters after that. And I just remember looking at my sisters who I thought loved me, laughing at me hysterically. <laughs> and, and so I walked away as a little kid thinking, roller coasters, bad. <laughs> the problem was I lived 10 minutes from Kings Island in Ohio, if you've ever been there. Um, one of the greatest amusement parks in the country. And so I would go back there with friends and get guilted in and shamed, you know, as a young man, ride this roller coaster, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, I remember as a kid, I finally, I finally got just pressured. It, it was all peer pressure, you know. So you, I finally stepped onto this roller coaster and, uh, and my friends, hey, you're, you're afraid, aren't you? You're scared. I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, this is nothing. Inside I am dying, right? Inside I am pleading with my heavenly father. God, do not let me die, right? And so I, I'm, I'm scared, but I go, I hit that, you know, the first, the first like, you know, when you go up that first hill and it's real slow and it's like ching, 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 ching. It's in that five minutes that I thought, I am going to pass out, you know? Why did I do this? You're strapped in, I can't get out, you know? And so, so you get to the top of that first hill and then boom, off you go. And of course, I'm yelling and by the second hill, I'm like, I'm alive, I'm not dead, you know? <laughs> And then by the third hill, it's exhilarating. And then by the end of the ride, you're coming off and you're saying, I almost died, but let's do it again. Why? Because somewhere in that journey of fear, God replaced the fear with joy. Right? When you face your fear, right, then, then God has a way of replacing that fear 
with joy. We all have fears, we all face fears. We're, we're, we're controlled by many fears. But when you find Jesus, when you put your faith in him, you start to trust him, you start to obey him. It is very scary. It is very scary to handle your finances the way that God tells you to. It is very scary to forgive someone who has hurt you. It is scary to treat your wife as Christ loved the church because you don't know how she's gonna respond. You are putting yourself out there time and time again when you are following and obeying Jesus. It is fearful. But when you do, you know what happens? He comes through. Wow, he actually came through. He was with me, right? I didn't die. <laughs> This is amazing. And you know what he does again? The next time, he comes through again. And then he comes through again. And then he comes through again. And then you're challenged and you don't think he came through again, but then you're patient and you wait and you struggle and you suffer. And then you're like, he came through yet again, right? And so he replaces fear with joy. Why? Because he loves us and, and he teaches us that he loves us. In 1 John 4, it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now this word perfect means that he actually um, completed his love, that he actually perfected his love. Where? He's talking about the cross. So on the cross, he perfected his love, he completed his love for us by showing us that he was willing to die on a cross. And because of that perfected love, he can replace all fear that you and I have. Fear of death? Mm-mm. Fear of loss, fear of being alone, fear of not fitting in. He says, no, you fit in. You're a child of God. You're not alone. I'm with you. So no matter what foundational fear you have, he says, no, no, no. You don't have to fear that. I'm with you. You're part of the family. You're forgiven. You have a home. You have a place. You will be with me for all eternity. And then how does he deliver us from fear? Secondly, the promise of judgment. He promises us judgment. That delivers us from fear. Let me show you how real quick. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Two key words here. Every deed and every secret thing. That is terrifying that there is a video camera on us from the time that we are born until the time that we die. And God has a record of every single thing that you and I have done, whether good or whether bad. And he says, in the judgment, you and I will be judged accordingly. And in that moment, the very best day of your life, you were the greatest husband in the world. You were the most faithful man in the history of the world on that particular day. Measured by a holy God, he will say it is as if you are filled with filthy rags. Your very best is still filled and tainted with sin. And on that day, when we stand before God, only those who are clothed and the righteousness of Jesus will be able to stand before God on that day, fully approved and accepted. On that day of judgment, when all your deeds are exposed, you're not going to be able to say, I was a good person. I lived a good life. He will say, no, 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 no. Your good is nowhere near my standard of good and right and perfect. And I cannot allow sin into heaven. And that is the point of the cross. 
That is the point of the gospel, that Jesus would die to pay for your forgiveness. They would take your place on the cross as an act of love, first to God and obedience to his father, but then yet that would be applied to you and me as well. And because Jesus dies, because he raises from the grave, on that day of judgment, if your faith is in Jesus, you don't fear that judgment. Why? Because you know he's not gonna look at your deeds. He's gonna see that you are clothed in the blood of Jesus. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Why? Because he took your place. And your faith, when you stand before God, is I don't deserve heaven, but I'm here. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I am here because of him. I am here because he rescued me. My work, not good enough. His work, perfected. You see, today, if you fear the Lord, the promise of the judgment won't terrify you because you've already submitted. You've you've already feared the Lord and it led you, it motivated you to give your life to Jesus. And so that fear then of the Lord drives out fear, all fear, as we submit to him, as we worship him, as we love him, as we direct our attention to him, as we center our life around him, as we find life in him. And as a result, now we are overcoming all these fears that we have in our life. No matter what fear it is. But there are some people in the room who've never given their life to Jesus. And as a result of that, you should fear this day, every deed every single act on display. And there won't be an excuse. And Jesus says very clearly that there is a narrow path and there is a wide path and few find the narrow path. But those who do find life and that narrow path is the reality that you have placed your faith and hope in Jesus. You've stopped chasing the wind and you've decided to, take, to essentially chase Jesus. For those of you in the room that have never done that, for those of you watching online that have never done that, I wanna encourage you to do that today. I wanna encourage you to just say, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died in my place. Come into my life, save me today, and today give your life to Jesus. Stop chasing the wind. Stop chasing after life and all of these horizontal, earthly things that only lead to death and broken things. And start chasing after your heavenly Father. First and foremost saying, forgive me and come into my life. I ask you to bow your heads. Anybody in the room say, that's me today? I wanna give my life to Jesus, anybody at all? Just slip up your hand, anybody at all? So I think, I think today's the day I need to give my life to Jesus. See me here, maybe you're at home. Say, man, I don't know that I have given my life to Jesus. That judgment is scary because I, I, haven't, I haven't really lived my life in such a way that leads me to believe that I have truly given my life to Jesus. Just simply bow down wherever you're at, bow your head wherever you're at and just say, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life, save me today. Just tell him wherever you're at. Just tell him, say, God, I commit my life to you in the name of Jesus. 
from this day forward, I'm trusting you. I believe if you did that, that is a prayer and a statement, a commitment that you're making today that God has saved you right in this moment. We wanna know who you are, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online. Scan the QR code in front of you. Let us know that you just gave your life to Jesus. Stop by the care and prayer room and let us know who you are. If you're at home, it's coming up on your screen, wherever you're watching, text that number. Let us know who you are so that we can help you today. Father, we praise you for those decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're gonna close our time and close this series out with the Lord's Supper. And so everyone should have received uh, that when they walked in. If you didn't, slip up your hand. We've got some uh, guys and some ladies that are gonna be walking around. You guys can go ahead and start walking. Just slip up your hand if you need one. I'm gonna pray again. The scripture teaches us that when we take the Lord's Supper that we are to restore relationship with him. So that means that we would confess sin, maybe forgive someone that you haven't forgiven. And then we know that the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. We know the juice represents the blood that was spilled out. Why was it broken? Why was it spilled out? Because of our sin. And that was the payment that God required that allowed us to have forgiveness in the hope of eternal life. And so I'm gonna pray again, and then I'm gonna encourage you to take this on your own while the band comes back up and leads a beautiful song over us today. It's really a prayer foundation and really the Lord's prayer. So I um, encourage you uh, with this song today. On that little tab, just kind of a little frequently asked questions. There's two tabs. So it's kind of a little tricky kind of deal. I know this is not like the bread that tastes uh, the, the greatest, but um, this is for the purpose of what we're doing today. It works. So there's two tabs. One tab is for the bread. The second tab will be for the juice. And so uh, let me pray. You take it on your own when you're ready. Band's gonna come sing over us. Encourage you to worship in this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross. As we take the Lord's Supper today, God, we are reminded that sin is a serious issue. It costs you your life. And so we don't run into this moment flippantly. We, we carefully walk into this moment, recognizing our sin, confessing sin, remembering and thanking and worshiping you as we take this. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.